morning, we're starting a new sermon series on the Gospel of John. And when I originally thought to do this series, I thought I would do the seven signs and seven sayings that you find in the Gospel of John. And we're on. And then a lot of stuff started happening in our church, as many of you know. That we, we had some staff issues, and I thought, you know what, I just need to go through the Gospel of John. I just need to start at the beginning. And part of that is just for my own sanity, because it's just easier to do one thing after another than to try and bounce around. So we're going to start the Gospel of John this morning, starting at John 1, 1, verses 1 through 5. And I think I'm going to just preach the Gospel of John for the year 2022. So we'll see. If, if you get tired of it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I would say let me know, but I don't really want to hear that. Um, so if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, and I say to you, hear the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, I do pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would um, give us a sense of, of who Jesus is and what that means for us. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. So I'll start this morning. I mean, we, had, we need to do some amount of intro material because it's the, the very first sermon of a new series. And so I, I start with a question that is, in some ways, it should be simple, but I think it's not for a lot of people, is do you have a best friend? If I, if I came up to each one of you and said, do you have a best friend? Who is it? Could you just name someone right? And I don't mean your, your spouse. That doesn't count. I mean, like, uh, if you're a man, is there, do you have another man who's your best friend? Like, is there someone who you would just turn to who knows everything about you? And it doesn't have to be just one, maybe. You know, I, I was thinking through this myself, and I have a lot of people, maybe four people, I think that I would consider best friends. And, and how do I define best friend? Well, best friend is someone who really knows almost everything about you. Or you're not afraid to, to be who you really are. Or someone who, even if you haven't talked to him for years, you not only pick up where you left off, but you actually are talking about what's going on in your lives now. And they're very concerned about it. I was thinking, I went out, so when I joined the Army, I went to basic training, uh, airborne school, Ranger indoctrination program, got in this, was put in the same platoon, and then was sent to Ranger school with a guy named John Kraft. And then at Ranger school, they randomly assign you a ranger buddy, and you have to be within arm's reach of that person for 58 days. I was assigned John Kraft, the guy that I went through all these other things. We were randomly assigned to be ranger buddies. He knows everything about me. We had dinner a couple of years ago, and I told him something that I thought I had only ever told a therapist. And he's like, oh yeah, you told me that. And he, he told me all these other things. And I was shocked. But that's the kind of person like a best friend is, right? They, they, they just know that stuff, and, and it doesn't shock them. It doesn't surprise them. A best friend won't abandon you when things go badly. 
the best friend will take care of your family, all those kinds of things. Why am I bringing, talking about this so much? Is because we're looking at the Gospel of John, and for as much as we can tell, the Apostle John was Jesus' best friend. Now, why is that important? Because a best friend is going to have a perspective on someone that no one else will have. And when you look at the four Gospels, you see three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. And John is very different. Why is John so different? I think it's because John was one of Jesus' best friends. He was in his inner circle. He was part of the, you know, Peter, James, and John, the, the, the three people that Jesus always had with him. He didn't abandon Jesus at the cross. Remember, at the cross, in fact, Jesus looked at John, of all people, and he basically charged John to take care of Mary, his mother, after he was crucified. And as far as we know, John did that. They went to Ephesus, and that's probably where John wrote this letter. So the big differences between uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, if you had to summarize like, what are the, the big difference, is that basically Matthew, Mark, and Luke are concerned to, to tell us what Jesus said and what Jesus did. In other words, what did Jesus teach and what did he do? If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to get primarily, that's what you're going to get, what Jesus said and what he did. In the Gospel of John, what you're going to see is something different. Instead of seeing what Jesus said and what he did, although you see some of that, you will see John wants us to know who Jesus is and what that means. See how different that is? One thing is sort of just like history, right? Here's what he said and here's what he did and, and deal with that. And John said, no, here's who he was or is. And here's what that means for your life. And that's why they start so differently. right? Matthew and Luke start with birth narratives. What happened to Jesus? Well, he was born this way. This is what happened. And what was said about Jesus? Remember, if you read Luke, he has not only the angel saying this is what is Jesus is, but he has Simeon speaking and he has Anna speaking. Other people are telling us about Jesus. When you get to the Gospel of Mark, he didn't have any of that. He just says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, bam, and he's off to the races, right? And he, the, he tells us right about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That's what Mark is concerned about. What did Jesus say, and what did he do? John does something completely different. John just doesn't take us to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, or even the beginning of Jesus' humanity, his earthly life. John takes us to the beginning of everything. Like, in other words, he takes us to, to the beginning before the beginning, he takes us back into eternity past. John, John wants to sort of, like, they, they, see, how far can you go back? And John basically says infinity, right? <laughs> he, he takes it all the way to the very end. He wants us to read the rest of the gospel, by the way, the rest of his content, in light of what this prologue says. So it, most people think that he wrote his gospel, and then he thought, now how do I begin this? How do, how do I get people... What lens should I give people to read this through? And then he went back and added this introduction. Here's the lens through which I want you to read this whole gospel. As you're reading what Jesus says and does and all these things, remember who he is and what that means. And so he starts right from the very beginning with who Jesus is at the most fundamental level. So we're going to look at basically three things this morning. We're going to look at Jesus, <laughs> Jesus the Word, we're going to look at Jesus as the agent of creation, and we're going to look at Jesus and the purpose of this gospel. So let me read to you the verses 1 and 2 as we look at Jesus the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you've ever read the book of John, um, you know, spoiler alert, the, what he's, when he says in the beginning was the word, he's talking about Jesus there. So the question, I, the, the first question that came to my mind is, why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14, he could have said, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Why doesn't he just do that? And I think it's because he's making a, a cultural connection and a theological point. In other words, what, what cultural connection is John trying to make here? Well, he's, if he's speaking, if he's writing, uh, his primary audience, most people think, is uh, Greek-speaking Jews. And it's Greek-speaking Jews across a continuum. In other words, you have Greek-speaking Jews who are more Greek than they are Jewish. In other words, they're very secular. Maybe they're into secular philosophy. They're into the Greek world. So on one hand, you could have Greek-speaking Jews who are mostly Greek, or you could have Greek-speaking Jews who are mostly Jewish. In other words, they spoke Greek because of where they lived, but really they were concerned about observing the Torah and about God's word and God's law. And what John does here is he makes a cultural connection with both groups with one word. So in, in Greek, that says, in the beginning was the word, and the, the Greek word there is logos. And if you were a, a Greek-speaking person with a Greek worldview, the word logos really meant a lot to you. And, and it meant something like um, the ordering principle of the universe. It was just an, it, sort of an impersonal force. And so when, when a Greek person heard, in the beginning was the logos, they would say, of course. In the beginning was the ordering principle of the universe. Something had, everyone back in the ancient Near East believed in some kind of, of creation or some kind of intelligent design. They didn't have the arguments that we have. And so a Greek person would have said, sure, that makes sense to me. In the beginning was, was the ordering principle of the universe. And that would have made sense to them. So immediately he's connected with one group of people. On the other hand, Jewish people, Greek-speaking Jews, would have heard the word logos. And to a Jewish person, the word logos meant the word. Or more specifically, it meant the Torah or even wisdom. And so for a Jewish person, they say in the beginning was the word, they would say, of course. Right? They knew, they knew the creation stories. God spoke creation and Throughout the Old Testament, things like the Torah and wisdom are personified oftentimes. And so it would have made sense to them. So instead of like basically offending everyone right out of the gate, John says, in the beginning was the Logos. And no matter who you are, you would have had some kind of connection with that. And it might, would have gotten your attention. Of course, that, that makes sense. Now, what's interesting is the theological point that John makes here is basically that he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, what theological points is he making here? Basically, the first theological point he's making is that notice that he says that this word was in the beginning with God. He says that in verse two as well. And it's important to notice that he says he was in the beginning with God and not from the beginning with God. In other words, this word, this logos, whoever he is, or whatever it is, you know, is in the, it was in the beginning with God. It, in other words, it was pre-existent. It was uncreated. It was just there with God. And people might have thought, okay, that, that makes sense because if God is there, he, can't, he doesn't exist without his word because it comes out of his mouth, I guess. 
The other theological point, though, that would be important is that the next thing, which would have opened people's eyes, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hmm? So on one hand, he, he is with God. On the other hand, he is God. So which is it? And the answer is, is both. Right? And we're sort of treading here on the mystery of the, the Trinity. Another way that you might understand this is to understand that the, the Word was fully God, but not the Father. And the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned here, but you're, you're getting into the doctrine of the Trinity here, that there is one God who exists in three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the classic formulation is that they're the same in substance, equal in power and glory, but they are not the same person. They are different persons. And, you know, and then later on in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And why that's important is because the word wasn't just a theological uh, sort of concept, a theological person, but it was actually became a flesh and blood person. Whoever this turns out to be, we know it turns out to be Jesus. In other words, Jesus is, is not only God the Son, he's not only the, the second person of the Trinity, but he was also a real, live, living, flesh and blood person who actually has a body right now in heaven. So that's important to get in John's mind, that Jesus not only was that, but in a the theological sense, Jesus was the incarnation of the Torah. He was the incarnation of wisdom. He was the incarnation of God's word. Now, why why is that so important for John to make that point right up at, at the beginning of his gospel? Well, for one, if you're a Greek Gentile, he's basically making the point that hey, this guy Jesus, the the the, the person who created everything, it just was it wasn't an impersonal force. It was a person, and it was a person who had flesh and bones. It was a person you could have touched. It was a person you could have seen. It was a person you could have known. Now, what's important from the Jewish perspective in this book is every single conflict that Jesus has in the Gospel of John, like the Gospel of John is famous for these big sort of blow-ups that Jesus has with Jewish leadership, and every blow-up that Jesus has with them revolves around obedience to the Torah or observance of the Torah. That the, the Jewish leadership would say, if you follow Jesus, that basically you're abandoning the Torah. That if you follow Jesus, you're not following the Torah. And Jesus is leading people away from God's word. What John wants us to know is that Jesus is the word. And in other words, the only way to follow the Torah as intended is to follow Jesus. The only way to, to follow God's law is to follow Jesus because Jesus is the incarnation of those things. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you are a, you're, you're a woodworker, and, and you, have, you have mastered uh, dovetail saws, right? Dovetail saw is a little saw that you use to cut, like, very precise joints. And you've not only mastered it, but you've spent your whole lifetime studying that one thing, and you've become so good at it. You you're actually are, have been asked to speak about it. You teach people. You teach classes. And then someone comes along, and they say, Tommy, you're using that thing wrong. And I say, how do you know? I've studied this my whole life. And the guy, what if the guy said, well, I invented it. Here, like, I can show you exactly how it's supposed to be used because I'm the one who created it. I did it. 
That, in, in a sense, that's what Jesus did when he came and, and interacted with the Pharisees. They were, were leading people according to their understanding of the law. And Jesus came and he didn't say, come along and say, hey, you, you're doing it wrong. I know because I invented it. He said, you're doing it wrong. I know because it's about me. I know because it is me. Let me read to you. Like, it's one of my favorite interactions in John chapter 5. Jesus has had a, 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 a spat with the Pharisees. And he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That they missed, they missed the point of the law because the law was writing about Jesus, that Jesus was the incarnation of the law, and to miss him was to miss the law completely. And so that's, that's a, a big theme that you're going to see throughout the Gospel of John. Another theme that comes up is this theme of creation and recreation. Notice Jesus is the agent of creation. It says in verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So on one hand, if you know the Apostles' Creed, if you're familiar with Christianity, right, the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of what? Maker of heaven and earth. And we believe that the Father created all things, but we also know from the teaching of the New Testament that the Father created all things through the Son. That it was through the agency of the sons that all things were created. So imagine this. This out-of-work carpenter, Jesus, is also the one through whom all things were created. And all things have their being. And all things that live and move are there because of him. And he sustains all things. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about him in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, Paul says this of Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That the same, the same God who intervened in the original creation is the same God who is going to intervene in recreation or our lives. In other words, if you look at the Old Testament, after creation, there was chaos, and then God came and spoke light into chaos and brought order. He is going, he is, the same God who did that is doing that now. And the same agent through whom he worked then, he is working through now, this one we know of as Jesus. And basically, if you think about it, in the original creation... If you're familiar with the story, it basically says now in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. And what's the first thing God did? He spoke light into darkness. Right? He intervened with, by the power of his word. Bam! And the, the darkness dispersed. And what he's doing now is he's also speaking through the power of his word. But now his word is a person. And the person through whom he speaks, the person through whom he will drive out the darkness in our world and in our hearts is this person we know of as Jesus. Not only that, um, if you remember in that John invokes creation to prepare for what Jesus does, if, if, if 1 Corinthians 5.17, remember Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, 
There is new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That what Jesus is doing in our lives is basically renewing us and recreating us. That what we, we need, if you're a human being, if you are a sinner, if you are broken, if things aren't the way they're supposed to be, Jesus comes and he doesn't just save us from our sins. The promise isn't like, Tommy, trust Jesus and you'll be saved from your sins. You can have a miserable, crappy life now, but you can look forward someday to going to heaven. That's not what Jesus came to do. Is heaven part of it? Sure. But really what the promise is, is new creation in the here and now. Change now. Hope now. Being found now, not just only sometime in the future. And basically that brings us to the purpose of the gospel. If you look at the last few verses there. It says, John says, in him was life, and that the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, whenever you're reading the Gospel of John, John uses the word life, I believe, 36 times. He uses it more than anyone else in the New Testament. In fact, I think the rest of the New Testament uses this word life only 17 times, if I remember correctly. And almost every time when John uses this word life, it's with reference to eternal life. Sometimes he just uses the word life and it's shorthand for eternal life. And eternal life is, is, some, is the phrase zoein aeonion. Basically, it's life of the age to come. It's not just eternal life. In other words, we think of eternal life as life that just never ends. Right? That I'm going to die someday and I'm going to live forever. If you're a Christian, that's true. But the, what eternal life actually means specifically is the life of the age to come it has to do with the quality of your life not with the length of your life and so when he says over and over again that jesus came to bring life he came to bring us a different quality of life remember john 10 he says that jesus came to give us what abundant life to give us a different quality of life than we have without him and why is that important is basically because of the purpose of the book. Let me read you the purpose. John is the only book that I can think of where he just comes straight out and tells us why he wrote the book. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are, now, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what is the purpose of the Gospel of John? It's that, that we would understand what Jesus has done, who he is, and that we would have faith in him, and having faith in him, that we would have life in his name. Now we tend, a lot of people when you read that, they think, oh, the purpose of the book of John is just evangelism, that we should just walk around and hand it to people who don't know Jesus. That's why he wrote it, right? So that people could have faith and trust Jesus and have eternal life. And to some extent, I guess that's true, but, but John would have written this gospel for Christians. So if he wrote it for Christians, what is he saying there? That Christians, if you're here and you've trusted Jesus, you and I are really the targets of this book. You and I are the ones who need to be reminded over and over again of who Jesus is and what that means. Right? It, most of us, we trust Jesus and then we go through our lives, we go to church, and it really makes not that big of a difference. 
And what John wants us to do is to be reminded of who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. And having faith in that, understanding who he is and what that means, that we would have life in his name, that our life would be changed, that we wouldn't struggle with darkness. You know, most Christians, including myself, you know, we have these dark places in our lives. We have these dark places in our hearts. Imagine your heart being this dark basement. And we go down there with a bucket and we try and sort of bail out the darkness. And you know what? You can never bail out darkness. It just, it never goes away. There's only one thing that can get rid of darkness and that is light. And light beats darkness 100% of the time. And it says Jesus, it says here that Jesus, it says the light shines in him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or the darkness will not overcome it. You know, it reminded me when my youngest daughter was here, it, I don't know about your family, but we'll sit around in front of the TV and go, what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? What, do you, you know, what movie do you want to watch? And there's Netflix and there's Hulu and there's HBO. There's a thousand different things. What do you want to watch? Overwhelmed. And we'll look, at some point, someone will look over and just say, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the, yes. So out of a thousand million things that there are to do, we've seen the Lord of the Rings a hundred times and we watch it again. Because there are things that we, it, not only is it familiar, it's like the comfort food of movies, I guess, for my family. But I'm constantly reminded of just these great themes. And if you remember Frodo, the ring bearer, he is getting ready to go into Mordor, right into the middle of the heart of darkness. And what does Galadriel give him, the queen of the elves? She gives him this little vial called Elendil. And Elendil is basically just starlight that has been bottled. And it's not only starlight, but it's the brightest star in the sky. And somehow they have been able to bottle it. So, and what does she say? When you get into dark places, this is the light that will, that will save you. This is the light that will drive out the darkness. And so the question for you and me is, is do you have that, the light that drives out darkness? You have some sense, has the darkness in your heart, has, has the, the struggle that you have, has, has the light touched them? And by the light, of course, I mean Jesus. You see, only by, by exposing your darkness, only by exposing your sins to Jesus can he drive them out. As we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to see over and over again Jesus finding people, right? That, I, the, the title of this sermon series actually comes from a different movie I was watching and, and I was, there's a great song in it called You Will Be Found and I thought that song great and it's catchy but it's not really true unless you trust Jesus that we see over and over again in the gospel of John Jesus finding people and sometimes they want to be found but most of the time they don't and so as you're going through I don't know where you are if you're someone who's saying I desperately wish someone would see me or someone would find me Jesus is here for you and if you're here on the edge going, boy, I hope no one finds me. I hope no one really knows who I am. Guess what? Jesus is coming for you too. So think about that. Let me pray. Father, I pray this morning that as we enter into this gospel of John, that you would, you would teach us what, who Jesus is and what that means, and it would transform our lives personally, uh, individually, and as a congregation. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.